0: All right, so Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says that all men are like grass and all of man's glory is like the flower of the field and the grass withers and flowers fade away but we're, but the word of god stands forever so let me pray for us before we keep looking at it tonight oh god our father father son and holy spirit you are high and lifted up you are holy 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 And yet you invite us to come and to hear from you because you speak to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would you would let us and you would cause us to hear your words tonight, that you would work in spite of our hearts. That You would work in spite of our distractions and that you would break through to us and that we would hear good news. And then we would lay hold of good news and, and live in light of it. Father, would you do that? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, I'm sure that all of you are familiar with uh, the show Fixer Upper, since you've lived in Waco for more than five or ten minutes. And, uh, but you know, if you've never seen the show, I'd be surprised. But if you've never seen it, the basic idea... Is that they take a house that's not that nice, generally, uh, that that needs a lot of work, and they completely renovate it, and they make it absolutely beautiful. And it all culminates at the end of the show in what they call the reveal, right? Where the the couple uh, that has not seen the house, they show up and they see the final outcome, and a couple of years ago, I guess, Amy and I got to watch the filming of a reveal because it was happening two doors down from us, from our house. And uh, so we, uh, we got to go watch the you know, couple of hours or whatever that they filmed this, and it was pretty fascinating. Um, and so, right, the people who own the house, they, have, they are contractually obligated to not see it. Uh, from before construction, before they touch it. So the last time they've seen the house, it was in its original state, right? They haven't seen any progress on it. And so they pull up, when they finally pull up on the reveal day, their view is obstructed by this big billboard sort of thing that's a picture of the house the way it used to be. And then, of course, uh, they stand there, and then they, they move, the billboard splits in two, And they are, for the first time they're they're able to see, you know, the finished product. And of course, right, inevitably people freak out and are just amazed at what they've done. And it's always, yeah, it's always impressive. But I want you to imagine if somebody, if they had a, you know, a couple there, and they they pull the billboard across, and they're just... They're just not moved by it. They're just not that impressed. They basically look at it and they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Not that great. Right? It's kind of hard to imagine. But if that was the case, what would you do if you, if you wanted them to be excited about the house? What would you do? What would you have to, how would you get them to understand the beauty of this house? And I think pretty simply you'd do two things. One, you would have to remind them about the reality of what this thing used to be, right? You would remind them of, of, what, of how it started, right? The, the things that were not, you know, uh, the, the way, of, certainly the way that it had popcorn ceiling because that's just like of the devil, evidently, if you've seen the show. Um, the ways that it just was broken down and just, it wasn't right. And you would you would show them more about the beauty of this new house. You would do both of those things. It's pretty simple. And that I think is exactly what the what the author of Hebrews is doing in this passage. Right this semester, and we're almost to the end of it. We have one more Ruf left. That's hard to believe, but if you've been with us, you know that as we study, we're studying the book of Hebrews, and our theme every week is. Um, better than you can imagine, because the author of Hebrews is writing to people that grew up uh, in the Jewish faith, but they've gotten converted to Christianity. But because of some sort of persecution, they're really tempted to go back and and really give up on Jesus. They're essentially wrestling with the question of: Is Jesus really worth it? What's so great about Jesus anyway? And so Hebrews is all about showing them that Jesus is way better than you can imagine. And often what he's doing, the author is looking back and saying, look, look at the old covenant, right? Your Jewish uh, faith, sort of the beginnings, and comparing it to what Jesus offers. And that's really what he's doing here in this passage. He's essentially reminding them, uh, it's the story of these two mountains, okay? Okay. Uh, that he's sort of using as representative of, of where they live. The first, uh, he talks about Mount Sinai as representative of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Right? He's, he's basically saying, look, right, you used to live, in quotes, you used to sort of exist in relation to God on, on Mount Sinai where God gave the Ten Commandments. That, that's sort of the old house. But now you live in this new house, right? this new realm, uh, the uh, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so he's basically saying, look, I want you to, want you to look at both of these realities so that you can appreciate uh, that you've got a much better home now. And so that's the general gist of, of how we're going to explore this tonight. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to look at it in three, three headings. First, we're going to see where we've been, right? The, uh, the old house, so to speak, first mountain. Secondly, we're going to look at where we uh, where we are now, where believers are now, uh, the new house, Mount Zion. And then thirdly, it's really just part of the second one, but thirdly, it's nice to have three. Uh, we're going to look at how solid the foundation is of this new house. All right. So first, where are these uh, these Christians and where we have been, the, the old house, so to speak. And you see that in verse 18 to 21. Um, the author is reminding them all about the old, the old covenant uh, or, or Old Testament, right? Those words are uh, the, really the same word uh, in, in Greek. They're interchangeable. Uh, he's bringing to mind all the fundamental aspects of their, uh, of their faith, of, the, of Judaism, Of how God related to his people. And he's using the picture of Exodus 19. When God meets, when he met with the the Israelites there at and near Mount Sinai. When he was giving the Ten Commandments. And the overall idea is that he's saying to them, look, you can't forget this. Remember what this was all about. Don't forget what the Old Covenant was. Was Because remembering that, not forgetting, or remembering that, is going to help you understand why Jesus is so great. It's the context in which you have to understand why Jesus is so great. i to try to give you an illustration and sort of bring that to life a little bit, maybe. I want you to think about, when was the last time you walked in a room in your apartment or dorm or wherever... And you flipped a light switch. And you got excited about the fact that the lights came on. I bet it's been a while. Because it is an awesome thing, right? We would I think anyone would recognize that. It's amazing. You flip a switch and the lights come on. But you probably take it for granted. But I can remember, I've told some of you this story, that when we lived in Louisville... Uh, in the fall of 2008, there was this insane windstorm that came through Louisville. It never rained a drop at our house, but in some parts of the town, 100 mile an hour straight line winds. The power at our house was out for nine days, nine days without power. And when the when the power finally came on, our you could our entire street, you could hear our entire street cheering and everyone walked outside and was clapping and like yelling. And we were looking at each other, we were talking to each other and like people that we, you know, never talked to before or since. And then we all went back inside and, you know, never really talked to each other again. But for the next few days after that happened, You would walk in and flip on a light and and you would think, that's awesome. Right? Because you remembered that for nine days, that didn't happen. Right? You get the idea, right? The author is wanting them to remember. Don't forget, don't take this for granted. So, what is it there to remember or we are to remember? What was it like? Well, it was absolutely terrifying. That's the picture. It was terrifying. And now look, we've got to say this on the front end, and I'll probably say it again. This is not to say, you've got to be careful, this is not to say that the old covenant was bad. Right? Um, he's not saying like, man, remember when, when the, the, you remember how it was, it was terrible. Um, remember when God used to be mean, and he quit being mean now? That's not what we're doing here. Yet. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. So what is he saying? What was it like? Um, It was terrifying. And why was it terrifying? Because God, in his holiness, was meeting with his people, and it was overwhelming. Right? There was fire and thick darkness, and it was super loud. There was wind. There was some sort of loud trumpet that was just blaring. There was this rumble. You weren't even allowed to touch the mountain. You couldn't go near it. It was the scariest environment you could imagine, and why was God just sort of putting on some sort of show? well no so what what was it what's what we just said it's just the very nature of who he is it's God in his holiness in his in his awe in his might in his his otherness uh, it's There's a sense in which everything about the old covenant and and sort of as typified here, it emphasized, it emphasized in a sense, the problem. And now God is not the problem, but his holiness for us is because of our problem, because of sin. And so there's a, a sense in which what's emphasized in the old covenant is, is the difference um, how God is just absolutely different, other. And because of our sin, people just come undone in His presence. And now look, again, we've got to be clear to say, look, yes, there, God has always related to His people by grace. And God has not changed. It's, again, it's not like God was, you know, wow, I'm glad God isn't like He was in the Old Testament, because He's actually exactly like He was in the Old Testament. So it hasn't changed. In fact, you see in verse 29 at the very bottom, he comes back around and says, and remember, God is a consuming fire. But he's pointing them back to, again, just to the, um, remember what it was like, right? The, the emphasis, the picture of God's holiness. And that we as people deserve to be swallowed up by it. So he's not saying it's bad. He's saying, look, you've got to remember it, but don't stay there because that's not the end of the story. But it is worth going back and revisiting. God's holiness. Don't forget it. Um, some of you have heard this illustration, the story before. I tell it usually once a year and just to work it in. Um, but when I was in college, I worked on a ranch in Montana and uh, I worked in the office. And we basically, we call it the activities office. We did all the fun stuff. Uh, We, you know, horseback rides and fly fishing and hiking and all that sort of stuff. And so we had this tour group come through. And this uh, was usually folks that were um, not from America. And we had this lady come in and she was from South Korea. And she, very broken English, she said she wanted to go on a hike, but she didn't have a car. And so we said, well, right out of the back of our ranch, there's a trailhead. And you can hike half as far as you want to go and come back because there's really no end to it. And so she went on her way. And so we saw, I, the next morning we, were, uh, we actually had to pick up the luggage from these people and was picking up this uh, luggage off of these steps and the door opened and it's this lady. And so my friend and I who worked in the office with, we looked up, we see it's her and I said, oh, how was your hike? And she said, oh, I'll spare you that, you know, my attempt at impressions. impression. She said, Very scary. And I said, scary? Why was it scary? And she said, saw a big bear. Like, oh, wow. You saw a bear. Wow, that is scary. How far were you from the bear? Having this conversation, we were seven, eight, nine feet away from this lady. She took a couple of big steps towards us. Right to where she could almost touch us. And she said, um, this far? And did her arm like that. And so at that point, I got like my whole body just, I got chills. And I said, oh, wow. What, so what happened? What did it do? And she said, this, I, this is honest to goodness true. She said, it stand up and go raw. <laughs> it put its arms up. All right, so if you know anything about bears, right? We, we kind of studied this when we were in Montana. You learn about this sorts of things. If a bear feels threatened and it decides it wants to change the situation in which it feels threatened, its last-ditch effort, right, to, um, it's, it's a way to say, like, hey, look, unless this thing changes, uh, you're going to die. It'll stand up on its hind legs, raise its arms up, and sway and roar, Right, which I think any living creature would get the picture, right? Okay. You know, we said, what, what did you do? And she ducked her head, put her head in. And she, went, I went, she said, I go, oh. <laughs> and she just like scooted back. I've, there is no doubt there can't be a tiny handful of people on the planet that have ever had that experience and lives to tell about it. And I'm not kidding. I want you to imagine being in that situation, right? This is, I would argue, the deadliest predator on the planet. They can, like, it is nothing to a grizzly bear to end you. Just, just nothing. I want you to imagine that thing, right? Imagine what you would feel as that thing stood over you. I mean, that's 10 feet, As it stands over you and just bellows. What would you feel? Right? I think you would have to feel you would have to feel like I got nothing. This this is it. Right? Completely and utterly undone. In light of the in one sense, majesty of this thing, I'm done. It can absolutely swallow me. And I can't do anything about it. Right? I want you to see, that's just a, just a little taste, just a little hint of what this passage, in one sense, is wanting us to, to recognize as true. Of what it's like to be before the God of the universe who is holy, holy, holy. Utterly perfect and be absolutely exposed and and to know I'm done. And the author is saying you have got to remember that reality. Because it actually is reality. Don't forget that. Look, if you're a believer, you have to remember, be reminded in a sense that that is where where we, in a sense, used to live. Now, God is still that holy. But I think a big part of the reason that that you and I, if we do, might feel sort of eh, about Jesus sometimes is because we've forgotten Jesus is not a big deal to us, maybe, because we think we're doing fine. Right? I'm not that screwed up. God and I are not that different. He's not that holy. I mean, sure, I I, I need a little tweak here and there, and I, I need some, you know, fixing up, but I mean, nothing radical. But it's a low view of God's holiness. And low view of our sinfulness. And Hebrews wants us to take a a look at that and to remember that we, there's a sense in which we come from this very dark and dire situation. But it doesn't want us to stay there, right? It's not saying, look, that was, you know, uh, look back at that. He's in fact telling these people, do you really want to go back to that? He's saying, yes, it's true, you need to remember it, but now you need to also look at where you are. And that's our second point. Look at the rest of the story. It's, it's absolutely worth revisiting. And, and, and sort of in a sense, right, always hanging on to. But don't stay there. Because God doesn't stay there. So secondly, let's look at where we are and in a sense where we're going. they are the same place. Verse 22 to 25. Um, he, he contrasts what we just talked about, Mount Sinai, with uh, with this Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God. And look, before we dig in here, we've got to talk about something so, uh, sort of nerdy, but, but incredibly helpful. Theologians right, would call this the concept of the already and the not yet. We've talked about it before, but... Um, You've got to keep this in mind as we look at this, right? The Bible routinely reflects the reality that, that God's kingdom is here and now, and it is already, right? Jesus, when he was on earth, said the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And, and it is not yet here in its fullness, Right, Both are true. The already, it is here, and it's not here in its fullness. And so, right, both are true. And so this is about where believers live here and now. And about where we're going to live. Right, the one day, someday in heaven. All right, so what we have here is a picture of this new home. Uh, What do we see about it? Where, if you're a believer, where you live now, um, because you can see the flavor is very different from from Mount Sinai. This, or, or, yeah, from Mount Sinai, um, right? The picture is all about being included, being near God, joyous, right? It's a, it's a different picture. Look at verse 22: the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a picture of of a real life of a city and, and living with God being very near to Him, being in His presence, being known by Him, and knowing Him. It's what we were built for. Uh, Again, in verse 22, it talks about innumerable angels in festal gathering. It's the picture of a huge party, of this amazing celebration of of angels being dressed in party gear, and, and this just giant feast it's a picture of joy and wonder and so obviously this is part of the not yet for us here on earth but it is a reality and I want you to think about that for a second think about how that helps us in the here and now that that is a reality that is at work right now and will be one day to know that all of the pain of this life is going to pass away. That one day it's going to be gone. That pain and suffering and sadness and death and strife and dysfunction, that every bit of it one day is going to disappear. And it's going to be replaced with joy. And, and celebration forever. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't make the hardships go away. It doesn't make them just like, oh, well, now that I know that, like, now life's easy. But it definitely helps. It definitely helps to know that they're, that they're limited. And that it's only for a time. Right, people throw around the phrase, it's going to be all right. Hey, man, it's going to be all right. People throw that phrase around a lot. And the truth is, frankly, here and now, in, in this life, it may not be. But if you're a believer, if you're a resident of this Mount Zion, of the heavenly Jerusalem, you can know that no matter what it is, it will be all right. That one day it's going to be made right. Uh, look at verse 23. Um, we see a little bit more. It says, The assembly, or you could translate, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Right? The author's saying, Look where you are. Don't forget. Look where you are. Uh, you're, you've been adopted by God, you're one of the firstborn, He's your father. You're His child. It's true of you right now that God looks at you and He feels the same way about you as He does His Son, Jesus. And one day, you're going to experience the absolute fullness of that. You can know that He deals with you like a loving Father. Uh, again, in verse 23, it says, "And to where else have we come? You've come to the Spirit's of the righteous made perfect the spirits of the righteous made perfect he's saying look if you're a believer look where you are look around you look what's true and what's true about you is that you you have been declared righteous you've been given jesus's righteousness so that right now before the father you your status is perfection. That's how he views you. Despite whatever you've done, despite the, the sins that, that you continue to commit, you have absolute perfection. And it means that one day you're going to be made absolutely perfect. that that one day, not in this life, but in the life to come, that one day there's not gonna you're not even going to it's not that you just will have the willpower to not sin. You're not even gonna want to sin anymore. Doesn't that sound awesome? That there's not gonna be any more you're not gonna ever feel guilty again. There's gonna be no more shame. There's going to be no more lustful thoughts that creep in. There's going to be no more greed in your heart. There's going to be no more jealousy about your roommate or your friend or whomever. There's going to be no more dissatisfaction about your situation in life. You're going to be made perfect. There's going to be no more feeling... uh, There's going to be no more worshiping God and feeling like you're such a phony... Because you know how cold your heart is. And there's going to be no more wondering, am I faking it? I mean, I know I'm not, and I am. You're going to be made perfect. Tolkien, uh, Tolkien often talked about why humans, why people love stories that exist in realms outside of of time right in fantastical places like why we love stories like the lord of the rings and harry potter and those sorts of things and he said he basically says the reason is because that's what we were built for it's in a sense where we've come from and it's where we're destined to go and, he's, and the author here is saying that you actually have that in part here and now. And one day it, it's where we will be. So how do you get it? Verse 24 says uh, that we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that, spree- that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now that's a reference to Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel, right? The first two people that were born in this world, one of them was a murderer. And Cain kills Abel and God, God says that Abel's blood cries out from the ground to him. And the idea is that it's crying out for justice. And he says that Jesus' blood, that was Jesus was killed, his blood was spilled on the ground. And his blood cries out from the ground something better. And the idea is that Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. But notice it mentions the sprinkled blood. Because that's another Old Testament reference to, the, uh, to how Moses sprinkled blood all over the blood of the covenant, right? All over essentially everything. Um, it was uh, from the animals that they had sacrificed. And it would go all over the altar and the scroll and the, uh, the tabernacle and all over the people, it went over everything, and it was to show that God forgave them for their sins, that that animal died in their place. And so in short, right, what, what this is showing us is that how do you get this? How do you get to live in the, in the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion? You get to live there by grace, purely by grace, not by doubling down and improving your holiness, or by working harder, but by coming to Jesus empty-handed and trusting that He stood in your place. It means you get to get it for free. Thirdly and finally and very, very quickly, I want to look at one other aspect. I want you to see that the text tells us about, uh, it's a terrible uh, title to the point, but how solid the foundation of this new, new house is. Um, it's basically to say that the kingdom that we have is unshakable. Um, if you're in Christ, you have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And goodness, this is, it's another Old Testament reference. Um, it's a quote from Haggai chapter 2, which, you know, who's been reading through Haggai? Come on. Um, so what's going on in Haggai, basically, very quickly, is, um, You know, so they were in the promised land, and everything's going great. They have their own country. They build a temple, right, Israel? uh, Solomon builds a temple, and it's amazing. And then they forget about God, and they start worshiping other gods. And, you know, Babylon comes in and takes them over and uh, basically lays ruin to everything and destroys the temple. And they get toted off into slavery. And then 70-something years, they come back. And they come back into their land, and it's just wrecked. And they start to rebuild the temple. And it's just not as good. It's not as big. And their enemies are all around them. And it's just just not working out very well, apparently, you know, as far as they can tell. And God comes along to them and he says, look, you should be encouraged because I'm with you. Be encouraged because I'm with you. And he says, one day I'm going to come and all these nations that are your enemies that you feel beaten down by and are beaten down by, I'm going to come and I'm going to shake them all. And he basically says, look, I'm going to shake everything. And the one thing that's going to be standing is you. Because I'm with you. And the author of Hebrews picks up on that. Right? So it's the picture of taking a rug, right? You take a rug outside and you shake it, right? So that everything that's not rug comes off, all the dirt and dust and crumbs. And the author of Hebrews is picking up on that imagery and that quote from the Old Testament. And, and he's saying to a people that feel like their world is just being shaken to death. And he's picking up on that promise. And he's saying, look, I know it feels like everything is shaking, but you have a kingdom now that is absolutely unshakable. Right? It it can't be, yes, it can be shaken, but it's not going to shake loose. And so what does that mean for us as we finish here? Right? It means that in the here and now, you and I can have have some taste, some sense of actual Confidence and surety in the midst of this insane world. If you're a believer, if, if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, you can know that that your kingdom, your, your life ultimately is unshakable. And so in the midst, when it feels like, right, um, whatever it might be, when it feels like your grades are shaking and crumbling down, you can at least have the confidence to know that you know what my grades might crumble, but who I am is not going to crumble because who I am is is I am in Jesus. I am His. I am in Him. I am I am, I am God's son or daughter. If your family is feels like it's crumbling around you. Um, if your, your financial situation is shaking, you feel like to death. Your relationships, whatever it might be, in the midst of everything that's crumbling around you, we get to know you're fixed to Jesus. And it can shake all at once. He's not going to let go of you. And and ultimately, it means that one day, God is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to shake everything. And everything that's not the rug of the kingdom is going to go away. All the pain and the sadness and the evil and the suffering, it's going to go away. And you... And I, if you're His, are going to remain forever. And that's good news. And He offers Himself to you even now. And He offers Himself for free. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank You for these realities, these truths that You have accomplished this salvation, that You are the uh, mediator and the guarantor of of a new covenant. Would You... Would you help us to remember and would you help us to not forget uh, what we have and who we are in you. And we pray it in your name. Amen.